Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Friday, April 28th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 511 features former ESPN fantasy basketball analyst Seth Landman. And I'm Evan Valenti, and this show is powered by FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston. Get a $200 bonus on your first bet of at least $5 or more. What's up, everyone? New edition of Celtics Beat. If you missed the big announcement during the previous show just a couple of days ago during the playoffs, maybe even beyond, thanks to our great sponsors, we are coming at you not once, but twice per week. So uh, that will allow us to react more regularly to what is going on with this team. This, uh, it really should be and will be a celebratory episode of Celtics Beat because, of course, the last time we spoke, again, just a couple days ago, it was... Will the Celtics rebound from uh, the kind of nonchalant take the Hawks for granted effort they displayed in game five and uh, come out strong in Atlanta in game six when convincingly, I would say there was some of that, but by the end they did, they closed the game strong in every way that they did not game five. So, uh, hey, it's on to Philadelphia first at the garden, but against the Philadelphia 76ers. And we will talk about it. Adam Kaufman, Evan Valenti, I'm superstitious. So Seth Landman is back with us. He was on to preview the first round series with Chris Forsberg when Evan was on vacation. So uh, we will have another three-person show, as we always do, coming at you. But Seth, part of this one for a series preview. But listen, before we get to any of that, and if, look, if you're, if you're, if you're just here for the basketball, and quite frankly, you should be, just fast forward like three, four, five minutes. <laughs> because we I'm... Do it. I'm freaking <laughs> stewing right now. I so this is we we did this Evan we did this right after the the you know the Grandy show came after the Bruins loss in overtime. Yep. yep. So uh, I've I've concluded one no more scheduling shows right after Bruins games because we yep. know that that's going to be a loss. That's provided the Bruins even have another opportunity for us to do that because at the moment they have a one season, you know, one game season, game seven coming at you on Sunday at the Garden, depending on when you're listening to this, Sunday at the Garden. And I'm just. Well, you are superstitious. Nev- never mind how much money the Bruins just cost me. <laughs> and, and, and I, and, and let me tell you also. And I think a lot of people would agree with this. If you had told me going into the game the Bruins would score five goals in Florida against the Panthers, I would have put my freaking mortgage on a win. So I'm glad I'm glad I didn't have that information <laughs> going in. But mother of God, 
this isn't about the like president's trophy curse or any of that crap like i i still i i have to allow myself to believe that the bruins are going to win this game seven and advance and continue on and not you know have the biggest playoff choke job perhaps in history failure Giannis. failure is what we would call it after setting a wins and points record in the regular season only to then crap out in the first round against not a totally inferior a, a, a worthy florida first round opponent the reigning president's cup winner but nevertheless you win this series. And Jim Montgomery, the head coach, pushed a lot of the right buttons during the regular season. But this is not even a second guess. I have been for days, for for games, saying, give Jeremy Swayman a start. Linus Allmark doesn't look right. He's he's dealing with something. We all know it. He has acknowledged it. Do not continue to trot him out there. A goalie tandem work during the regular season. Continue it here in the playoffs if your goalie doesn't look right. If he looks like the Vesna Trophy winner, play him. If he doesn't, Give Swayman an opportunity, and for the love of all that is holy, for him to not play game three or four or five, to now you're going to put him in cold potentially for game seven when he hasn't done anything in this series, and that could be the reason why I can't even... Let's talk about the Celtics. You can't even finish the sentence you're so worked up. I want to flip this because we can make the Celtics related. I am very thankful that this is happening to the Bruins, not the Celtics, and there's (laughs) reason for this. Uh, one, because I root more for the Celtics than for the Bruins. I'm not saying this is awesome for the Bruins, but there is just oh, way awesome. more negative vitriol for the Celtics than Boston media with this echo chamber of like, oh, Celtics, here they go again. Like the Bruins have been an incredible story all season long. There hasn't been up that, that pent up like anger about the Bruins season this year. Like there have been multiple times on multiple shows throughout Boston of like, why aren't the Celtics having a season like the Bruins are having? It's like, oh wow, just not having the best season of all time. It's a real shame. Like if it, I'm, my point is, if it were flipped, it just gets, it, it just gets exhausting guys to have to listen to this all the time. It's like, okay, like things happen. It's a series of, you know, two pretty good teams. Like Florida's offense is pretty unbelievably good. I don't. I know their defense isn't spectacular, but they obviously can score considering they scored seven goals, six really, uh, against the bees tonight. I mean, it's not, and, and the bees are lackadaisical, much like the Celtics are. So all I'm saying is I'm thrilled the bees are moving on because uh, I don't have to deal with the negative, the negative BS here because it's going to be. You know where that gets awful. a little twisted though is, is just because of the nature of the playoffs in these two different sports. Is that if the Celtics, like if the Bruins went down or go down to the Panthers. People are, there's, it's going to be plenty of negativity. You're not going to be lacking in that for sure, but you will still not have as much, even after the record setting regular season, you will not have as much negativity surrounding the Bruins loss to the Panthers as you would have if the Celtics oh, had gone no, down to the Hawks. No question. And the reason for that, not even is that the Hawks, you know, are, are perfectly mediocre is because the sports just work differently. In hockey, you can get hot. You can ride a hot goalie or your goalie can struggle or whatever. In basketball, generally speaking, historically, we know this. We've talked about it. You know, like save for the 03 Pistons or whatever year it was, talent generally wins out. It's why annually LeBron the one out then too. these guys yeah. are in the finals, you know, basically every single year. So if if the Celtics loaded as they are, and this is not the case, they've advanced. We will celebrate them, I promise. But that's why if if they had gone down, like if if Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown had gone down to Trey Young and DeJounte Murray, burn the building down. Let's not even speak this into existence here. Well, it doesn't matter because it hasn't happened. 
Uh, but can't happen, and it can't happen until next year, so we're good. Can't happen. True. No. Now, 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 this is this is where we get to come in, much like we did against you know the preview of the Hawks, where we get to come in all cocky and talk about the path because the Bucks are out. The East was always open, but now it's really wide the hell open. The Cavaliers, we were you know concerned about a potential playoff matchup with the Cavs and the way these teams matched up during the regular season. They're done as well. Of course, the Miami fears linger, I understand, although you listen to tons of national people and Knicks fans already taking the heat and and Hemi Butler for granted. New York is going to roll in that series, apparently. And the Sixers, though, the Celtics have a Sixers team that won. They have owned like you know Joel Embiid has come out and basically said they're our daddy a la Pedro Martinez and also we don't know what his availability in this series is going to be how much he's going to play if he's going to play he's out there on one leg with the sprained LCL they're banged up in general Doc is coaching so even if they got up in the series they're gonna blow it so the Celtics are in a phenomenal (laughs) position to the point where like Lamb we were texting about it last night I cannot believe our kind sponsor. I was looking at the odds. What is it? Minus like 390 or something? It was 290 or, or, when we looked. Yeah. Maybe, I think it's 310 now. It wow. is, it's, it's jumped. It is minus 310 odds for the Celtics to win this series. Just to win the series. It's not like the, you know, to win it in seven or something. To win it in general, it is minus 310, which is outrageous. That is yeah. an outrageous number, which is why I have invested a lot of my money in the Celtics minus one and a half. That's fair. I, I guess, you know, we'll see how, I mean, look, if they're going to. Six games or fewer, Celtics win. That's what we're looking for. If Embiid is not going to be totally healthy for game one, then yeah, I mean. I, okay, wait, hold on, game, hold on. Game hold one, on. which, by the way, should have already, you know, been set for tomorrow night instead of Monday, but that's a whole other thing. Let's not, I, I don't want to, okay, like, I feel I, it's true. I feel cocky about a matchup against the Sixers. I think the Celtics are a much better team than the Sixers and, and match up particularly well with the Sixers. But I'm, I am not the type to be like this, this like gung ho about looking past a series. Like, um, the reason three t- minus three ten is a crazy number for a series like this is because like things happen, right? Like, um, and, you know, we saw Embiid score 50. I mean, we'll talk more about the game Embiid had against the Celtics a couple of weeks ago, but, um, when you the know, Celtics had multiple starters out and they still only won by like three points, even though, yeah, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to like, I'm going to talk a lot about how that game was like <laughs> a bunch of nonsense, but, yeah. um, you know, I mean, it, at the same time, it is like true that he'll like most people would consider Embiid to be the best player on the court for every game of this series. And so, um, you know, if you were healthy. If he were healthy and maybe even if he's not healthy, people would consider that. I mean, uh, I don't think that, <laughs> but you know, it, it, you could, you could make the argument. He's going to win the MVP award in a couple of weeks. Yeah. I mean, Linus Elmar is going to win the Vesna trophy. Look what he's doing against Florida right now. So yeah, I mean, True. regular season accolades only go so far. You got to show up in the playoffs. I am, if nothing else, and we'll get back to Embiid. We'll spend a lot of time on Embiid, mm-hmm. but I am, Maybe even a little comforted. I didn't necessarily feel this way at the time, but now that the series is over, I can say this. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm somewhat comforted that Jason Tatum did not have a very good series against the Hawks because I feel like that, you know, professional athletes shouldn't need continual reminders or motivators or whatever, you know, especially come playoff time and especially come 
uh, coming off of a, a a brutal, devastating finals loss a year ago. Like you should be in every way imaginable. You would think locked in this time of year or playing at your best this time of year, or however you want to, you know, phrase it I, I, or categorize it. I don't know. Uh, cause I, I don't want to say like Tatum's not putting in the effort. That's not the case. He's just, he didn't have a very good series against the Hawks, but right. I'm, I am somewhat comforted by the fact that I think that is going to lead to him, you know, having just a breakout, almost embarrassing the Sixers level series over these next, whatever, four, five, six games that we see. You would imagine it will increase his focus. It, like the, if he's aware, of, it, like the, depending on the level to which he's aware of the fact that he just had a not so great series against the Hawks. I mean, um, it was encouraging to see the way he reacted to the win last night and like the, the like real outburst of emotion he showed after the tip dunk down the stretch. Um, that I think was actually a little unusual for him. That, that's more emotion than I usually see out of him. Um, you know, it must be a little scary to be the favorite to win the title and see the like, see the Vegas odds shifting in your favor to win the title and like see the path kind of opening up in front of you. Um, I do wonder if like how athletes respond to that pressure sometimes, like when they haven't won yet. And, you know, they got their asses kicked in the finals last year. Um, and I would imagine that there's some, some like, stealing yourself that comes with that and some like confidence like we know we were as good as those guys and we just it was like it was our fault that we didn't win maybe is what they're feeling but at the same time there just has to be fear there they're they're human beings like and it it sucks to lose and people say things that suck about you when you lose so like you know yeah i would would say heading into the series i'm feeling pretty confident about both jays and like kind of for different reasons one like tatum just hasn't played that really well although he was phenomenal in game six and seth you mentioned the the emotion he showed i don't know if you guys caught the video of him going back into the locker room oh yeah talking to kemba i was gonna say talking to kemba then walking into the locker the actual locker room where the lockers are and dapping everybody up uh he was revved up you know brown was revved up i thought he take off his jersey go full kirk cousins you yeah. like that. Yeah. You like right. that. That's what we need. We need that. But Missoula was pretty revved up after the game too. He talked, he's like, you know, when he, I'll paraphrase, he said, when, like, when smart plays like that, we don't lose games, mm-hmm. basically, which was, uh, I thought, a pretty interesting quote. Um, but yeah, I, I'm feeling confident because, like, first and foremost, if you look at the numbers, I, I looked it up today. Tatum's eight and one against the Sixers in the playoffs. Yeah. So there's that. Um, and I keep saying this when people ask me why I don't really fear the Sixers is because the Sixers have never had anybody that can guard either one of those guys for 48 minutes. They've never yep. had it. And yep. for Tatum, like this is a great opportunity for him to refocus up and, you know, and, and start playing like he's the best player on the team. But on the flip side, like Jalen played, I thought if, if you go back to the second half of game four and then game five and game six, he was the best player for the Celtics. So those that uh so you're 48 what's that uh plus 24 math mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> on a friday so a lot of minutes so the, the past two and a half games wait, wait were you were you just trying to add 48 and 24 yeah, yeah give I, us the math problem we can help so, you 72 72 there yeah. we go right so last yeah. 72 minutes of something take out my phone calculator hang on yeah <laughs> i think jalen's just been incredible i th- I, th- I and especially from a physicality standpoint yeah he was doing a better job getting into the paint and and just just 
just shrugging guys off with the shoulders. And that has been, I think, the biggest development for Jalen this year has been that little, oh, nobody can stay in front of me because I'll just sugar you off with my shoulder or two. Like, I don't know, I, I feel super confident about Jalen right now. And, and um, again, hopeful that that all-NBA uh, tag comes quickly because I'm just I'm sick of doing this. He's I think Jalen, if things go well, the Jalen-Brown discourse will be very different this offseason for sure. I, I, he's been playing beautiful basketball at the same time. He, like, the, the, the turnovers and the loose, the loose handle. Like, it's, it's weird to call it a loose handle. Cause like, this is a guy who you will see cross somebody over at the top of the key and go all the way to the rim. Um, you know, it's like a loose handle for like one of the 20 best players in the NBA, right? Like, um, but, no, but I same... think what it like, it's, it's all relative. Obviously we're not comparing like Jalen Brown handling the ball to me doing it, no, but if we you should know, though, that would be interesting. It, it would be embarrassing is what it would be. But if we're, you know, if, if you were to say like, Hey, who do you think's got like, who's got the best handle in the NBA? Yeah. No, like Jalen Brown's not going to be part of that conversation. He's not even going to enter your mind. No, but if you say who's the best player at getting to the basket in the NBA, he might, he might come up in that discourse you know um and so and and it's important that he attacks and i i just i don't know i struggle with this team to come to like with the jays it's like you want them to stay super aggressive um and feel like they can get to the basket but they when they do it against uh when they do it before they've generated some sort of advantage through swinging the ball side to side as we've talked about a billion times you know they tend to struggle when like playoff defenses have have read the scouting report and are keyed on digging on their dribble as they like go into their gather and so I think that you know that's that's just a thing I'm always looking for especially in this series against Philly where you know Atlanta had big wings um like DeAndre Hunter and Jalen Johnson and even DeJounte Murray is like got really great size for a guard he's almost as big as Jalen in some ways at least in height and like length um, but so the, and Philly's much smaller between Maxi and Melton and maybe Harden gets some minutes in that matchup, although I doubt it. Right. Um, but what those guys, what like Maxi's got a ton of, of weaknesses as a defender, but he's, he does have quick hands and Melton is elite at that stuff. And so, you know, you don't want to give the Sixers life, you know, if the Celtics avoid turning it over in this series, that's where it could be like a really quick series, I think. Yeah, I think it's fair. Um, I'm just trying to, you know, it's. I'm thinking back somewhat to our conversation that we had going into the Hawks series, and, yeah. and the two of us, Forsberg, you know, the the overwhelming sort of sentiment, and these are not the same teams, obviously, and they're not the same skill level. Uh, although, you know, quite frankly, Trey may be the better player than Embiid based on their current, you know, health situations. You're talking about if Embiid is, like, really beat up. Yeah, we just don't know. We don't know what he looks like. Clearly, like, Embiid's a much better player than Trey if he's Embiid. But, you know, if he's the MVP, but if he's what everybody fears he's going to be, then he might, you know, to some degree be, I don't know, like, let's call him 60% of himself. I I have no idea. Um, I just, it's, it feels like a lazy narrative. And yet, I also believe it's true to say, as long as the Celtics take care of their business, I'm really not worried about what's going on on the other side. No, it's you know, true. Like at any time that they squandered an opportunity or fell apart against the Hawks, 
in that series going six games in the first place is because they got careless, cocky, lazy, whatever else, and and didn't do what they did in the last five minutes of the closeout game, you know, and and that plagued them at points. It's why we have had so many conversations spanning years at this point uh, about them playing down to their competition or about them just, you know, not locking in and and all the post-game commentary about we're not going to do it the next time and then they do it again. It's if they just do them like you do you right. If they just do them Mm -hmm. against the Sixers, this really shouldn't be a series. It really shouldn't. I'm not saying it will play out that way because I don't know if I had a crystal ball, I wouldn't have bet so much on the Bruins tonight. (laughs) The stats, uh, you know, all the stats we've cited in the past about, how the Celtics were the best team in the league this year against other good teams around the league. Like if you take your a team's record against just the 10 best teams in the league, the Celtics were much better than everybody else in terms of net rating and all kinds of other stats. And I think part of that is that there is some truth to this, like playing down to your competition thing. Um, I also think there's some truth to just like, that's human nature. Like um, it's hard to do the like the steps it takes to be great when you feel like it's right there for you to just be great without doing those steps i think um as someone who's great i could say that for yeah, sure right. like, yeah. <laughs> but i know a lot about greatness so it's like it's it's easy so for me to just unequivocally great yeah. yeah people are always saying it about me so i mean it's like you know i kind of understand where they're coming from but like when anyway. you guys look into a mirror you wish you saw me yeah right <laughs> um but yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I think even if Embiid, uh, you know, it like, um, you can look at his numbers from the three games against the Nets. So they just swept the Nets. So it's interesting because Philly actually just cruised through the first round much more easily yeah. than basically anybody. Um, a Nets team that I do not think highly of at all, though. Well, so that's what I was going to say is like the, the, the truth is like, it, it's weird to say about a team that just swept another team in the playoffs, but Philly didn't play well in that series. Um, and as someone who is like <laughs> sort of like intellectually rigorous about thinking Philly is terrible, like it's like become like one of my core beliefs that that basketball team is just all smoke and mirrors. Um, you know, I was rooting against them in that series and it was very frustrating to watch like what, what I perceived to be them trying to give these games away basically to the Nets and the Nets just being completely unwilling to take them. But some of the Embiid numbers, um, you know, I know he got hurt in the series and didn't play the fourth game, but in the three games he did play, I mean, uh, more turnovers per game than he's ever committed in the playoffs or like higher turnover rate. Um, his like for the, for the second or third year in a row, his assist percentage in the playoffs has plummeted while his turnovers have skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, well, we could, we can get into the nuts and bolts of it, but I think. Compared to the other great players in the league, like the other guys who were up for this MVP award or, um, or even in the tier below that, I actually do sort of believe he's the most guardable one. And I feel like that's like a controversial take, but, um, it doesn't feel controversial to me. Well, I, well, there are a number of different things that I want to get into, but while we're talking about Embiid and I don't know the best way to ask the question other than to just kind of tee you up, but I, I know that like the, the three of us will text a lot about 
just the NBA in general and yeah. comes up quite a bit. And you have, uh, I, I know you have a number of thoughts just on, on Embiid, to, the player, Embiid, the teammate, <laughs> Embiid, the, honestly, like the entity, the, can I do, the can, face of the franchise. Can I do my conspiracy theory? All of them. Oh, yeah. Okay. So my main conspiracy theory is, is that um, if you look through the history of like number one picks who have not worked out on their first teams, um, the the Simmons Fultz thing is pretty unprecedented, especially in the in the way in which those guys failed in that place in Philly, um, where both of them like had this like endless series of injuries, but also had this mysterious loss of confidence in their shots. Like um, it's tempting to like think that Fultz and Simmons could never shoot. And Simmons definitely always struggled as a shooter, but like he took shots in college. He like went to the line in college um, and Fultz like uh, Fultz struggled at the free throw line in college. But, um, you know, like you, people will remember watching that first summer league and like um, before things went off the rails for him, he didn't have that like hitch in his jump shot. Like mm. things happened with those guys around confidence. And I just there's got to be something going on in the water with that Philadelphia 76ers team that that makes that possible. And I just wonder if Embiid, I think he can grate on people a little bit. Like I, I think he's got like a, a way of being like, of seeming like he's above the discourse while like immersing himself in the discourse that must drive people crazy. Like um, some of his comments about this year's MVP award and about like how other guys say they don't care, but they definitely care. It's like, um, I don't know, like the the way he says that as he's like campaigning for this award seems kind of bizarre to me. And then the other thing I was just texting with. So and the, the one piece I want to add to this little conspiracy theory I have that maybe Embiid is possibly a terrible teammate. And that's what broke Fultz and Simmons is like, what the heck happened with Al Horford that year in Philly? Like, why did it? Like, Alice sure, sure as hell never talked about it. Like, yeah. why did that not? Like, I understand that it was like a bad fit in some ways, but why was Al Horford like bad during the minutes he did play, and like, um, and then just left and went totally back to being like the really good version of Al Horford, basically immediately? It's like that's never been really fully explained to me, and and it is pretty bizarre. So like, I don't know. There's just something. There's been so many weird bad vibes around that team over the years and like underachieving relative to the talent level that it feels like you have to wonder a little bit about what happened with Fultz and Simmons, especially as Fultz sort of like starts to become like a weirdly confident player again. You dub Fultz at the end of the season. He was doing really well. It was awesome, actually. It was great. Yeah. 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 He's a beast. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of, but like, then the other piece of this with Embiid is like, um, what is it? It's like a problem. It's like an emotional problem I have where I'm bothered when people get credit for the wrong things or something. Like, um, the best example of this that I can think of is like when Kobe Bryant was winning like defensive, like making defensive all, all defense first team towards the end of his career, like long after he had stopped playing defense. Um, or like, people saying Kyrie is like going to make the Mavs better when it was like, obviously not true to everyone who was paying attention that that wasn't going to work. And then it didn't work, but we still have to like keep hearing about how this guy's a great player. So 
with Embiid, I just wonder, like, how many times can you not make it to the conference finals when you were supposed to make it to the conference finals? Like, there's an excuse every year. And it's like, at some point, can we say that he's like, even when there isn't an excuse, he like doesn't show up in a lot of these games, runs out of gas down the stretch, turns it over way too much, um, misses the shots he be- he's been making all year, fails to make the passes he's been making all year. So the- anyway, blah, blah, blah. He That's usually my- looks tired too at the end of like, yeah. playoff runs. And I only can say this from experience because Boston has plenty of experience eliminating Philadelphia from the yeah. playoffs. <laughs> um, it, it happens, it happens in seasons like, I feel like for the last couple of seasons at the beginning of the season, we hear about how Embiid looks amazing and he's in great shape. And then like, he's still running out of gas at the end of playoff games. Like how much of it do you put on? Obviously he's had multiple coaches now, but Mm -hmm. and multiple general managers for that matter as well. How much of it do you put on them not surrounding him with the right people versus him being the core problem? Yeah, I mean, the Simmons fit was interesting and problematic. And, like, I do think it's true that Embiid did Embiid did try to turn himself into, like, he spent a lot more time on the perimeter than he wanted to as a way to try to, like, fit Simmons in. Um, I think all that stuff is true. I mean, I, I like, I do think Embiid is an amazing player. I just think he's, like, a tier below where people think he is. Um, but at the same time, it's, like, um, he's kind of got the perfect pick and roll partner for him now. And that's why they like lead the league in pick and roll efficiency, even though Harden can't get by anybody and Embiid refuses to roll all the way to the rim. Like they still, those guys are so talented that they still lead the league, like that they're still an incredibly efficient pick and roll combo. So go back to that seat, that last season Philly game where Embiid hit a kajillion mid range shots to get mm, to mm-hmm. his 50 plus. It was like, you know, like, is he going to miss one of these? Like he didn't miss five. One of those. It was, he just kept shooting mid range jumpers and hitting all of them. So like, yeah. to your point of like, it's part of the running out of gas thing. It takes more effort to get all the way to the basket than it does to like pull up from 12, you know? And, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he, Look, uh, between all the him killing us in the mid range and, and, uh, you know, uh, PJ Tucker hitting three threes from the corner, like that, the Celtics win that game and we lost by the, two. The C's are probably even bigger favorites at this point, Kaufman. Absolutely nailed that. Nailed it. And beat over four turnovers. That's, uh, let me throw that out there. There you go. Let's see if we can I don't, I don't think you can actually bet turnovers on that book. Huh. I wish you could. Because yeah, I, would, I would definitely be on it, that. It is interesting seeing the intricacies of you know one book versus another, like what what you can do and what you can't do. They're all they've all got. Their can you bet free throw? James James Harden under four free throw attempts. That that would be another interesting one. Yeah, I don't I don't know that that is an option either. But They're under uh, four and a half maybe I'd, is where I'd put that one. In going back to celebrating all things Celtics, and yeah. again, just uh, the, the and this is not. I, I want to be very like there are plenty of things that I have said and will continue to say about the Celtics that may or may not come off as as cocky or overconfident. This is not one of them. This is just purely a statement of fact that knock on wood, you know, hopefully remains. But what we saw, especially in that last game, the clinching game against the Hawks, and what mm-hmm. we've known, this is not like, you know, oh, this is a great realization that w- that we witnessed there in game six. We have known this. We've been talking about this since the offseason and all the way through and into the playoffs. You know, the there, there are basically two things that can get in the Celtics way. And on that list is not talent. It's, you know, lazy behavior 
complacency, as we've already talked about, and it's significant injury because they are as deep a team as there is in the NBA, not just remaining, but period. Like Mm -hmm. if everybody were still playing, they are as deep one through nine as any team in the NBA. And it, we do listen real quick. Can we stop acting like that's a bad thing? No, it's a great thing. There is this the whole like, oh, do the Celtics know who they're finishing five are? It's like they have well, nine but that's, guys that are all I mean, good, you're, so you're sort of – you're kind of channeling Grandy from the other night. Like, it's Grandy, insane Grandy, that we're doing this, though. Grandy the, was half – Yeah, Grandy was half presenting that as a bad thing. Like uh, the that, idea that they should be playing Brogdon down the stretch. Well, it, it was basically the – you know, because we were talking about Joe and, and, and the job that Missoula's done, that he's got his skeptics out there. We all know that. Uh, but the, the the fact that – yeah, you know, I, I think as Sean put it, or or more or less he said it this way, you know, he's he's got a great one through nine, the best one through nine in the NBA, but he has the incredibly difficult job of trying to decide which five should be out there at what time. And yeah, it's that's a challenge. It's part of the job, obviously. You know, you gotta have a feel for your players and your rotations in the moment, and and there are times in which Joe has admitted he has not, you know, had had the feel at the right time he even said after that game against the hawks the the clinching game that he implemented some things that he learned from things going sideways in game five that made things turn around in game six Mm -hmm. and that's what you want you want him to make adjustments you want him to learn as he grows you want to acknowledge that he's a 34 year old head coach doing this for the first time who wasn't even prepared to do this for the first time but was thrust into it in september now i know it's september's a long time ago but this is his first postseason run this was his first postseason series it's a different animal seeing the same team for up to seven straight games and you know now we're hoping we're going to get another month and a half of this obviously and the road is set up incredibly well for him to where people i you know i i heard scal on the radio the other day say this is a failure if they don't win the title this year because the road is just so beneficial for them with milwaukee being out cleveland being out yes there's miami the stuff we've already talked about and philly not being close to full strength this is the time seize it take banner 18 this this is your moment I agree with a lot of that. I don't want to get into the whole semantics of failure. Fail, not, yeah, like I don't. Want, I don't want to do all that. But, please, let's not. But the depth, the reminder of the depth, seeing it, you know, when when sometimes it's it's not on full display. The reminder of seeing it and what this team can be when mm-hmm. it's just again doing it right. You doing you, like I said before, when they are just themselves as we have seen throughout the vast majority of this season, then it it does. It makes it, it, it has a tendency to make you a little overconfident. I mean, they have everything they need to win the title. And I think, I think that that idea of like not being sure about your closing five is there is something interesting about that. Like it is um, tempting to, believe that it would be it would be nice to have like a clear five that you always went to in every situation but like think about the stuff that like okay so the bucks just lost in five games to the heat and they've had bad series losses before they've also won a title right and budenholzer's got a lot of the blame when things have not gone well and he's gotten credit when they won and um I don't think he was like a better coach when they won or a worse coach when they lost. I think what he is is like pretty doctrinaire and 
settle like he has his guys he goes with he has his system that he plays and he's not very flexible about moving off that system now like other coaches are more flexible and i'll give you an example of of one in eric spolstra who um is not like that he's like you know if his man-to-man defense isn't working he goes zone if a player isn't working in a matchup he's like he's not like Oh, well, I have my set five man rotation that I, or like five man lineup that I know I play in crutch time. He's like, he's no, you know, you know what? I'll have Bam out of bio be the point guard for the last five minutes of this game. Like, um, and, and we'll like win the series that way. Cause like the thing I was trying to do isn't working. And so I think, um, I do think there's a degree to which Joe is, of course, still figuring it things out, but I think that's what every coach does. And, um, and the best coaches are like, are like tinkerers, I think. And, and like keep their players invested while going through the process of figuring that stuff out. And so I think the Celtics have a pretty clear, what would you say? It's like a pretty clear top six, top seven. Mm-hmm. And the, the questions come in with like, do you Hauser, go, Grant. Do you, well, so how's there, not even thinking about that, just like thinking about who do you have on the floor at the end of a game? If you, Malcolm, if you think, Rob, which one? Yeah, like Malcolm versus Rob oh, or okay. like. I thought you were talking about those that were like getting excluded from the top seven. No, I would say like his, the choices he has to make are like, do you go double big with Rob and Al? Do right. you, um, are, is would there ever be a situation where you want all three of, um, Brogdon, White and Smart on the floor, like maybe Tatum at the five and like, um, you know, how, how weird are they willing to get with this stuff? Cause I do think they have seven players, um, who you could, and, and maybe eight if Grant is like playing the way he was in last year's playoffs, who you could pretty easily make an argument could close out a game. And I think like, I think not knowing what the answer to that is, is actually like kind of fine and pretty normal. I guess that's where I come down on it. Do you have a a thought, by the way, just because you brought up or we both brought up Grant, do you have a thought on not obviously you're not going to have inside information about like, why isn't he playing enough? Uh, And, you know, Joe said Joe has said matchups at points during the season or the the series and uh, really did uh, sort of give Grant his flowers after that last game and and talked about his professionalism, maturity Mm -hmm. and all of that. So so it's it it doesn't see people want to say he. He must be in the doghouse. Why isn't he playing? Especially when he goes in and he actually plays well, and then he's glued right back to the bench again. Like, we've seen countless people talk about this, tweet about this, write about this, but Joe certainly doesn't talk about him like he's in the doghouse. So why do you suppose we saw so little of him in that series when the minutes that he did play were effective? I would take Joe at his word that it's about matchups, that, like, that series didn't really have... I mean, although you have to admit he did a nice job when he was switched out onto Trey Young here and there. Like he, he well, that's what I mean. When he played, he played well. No, I agree. But uh, you know, I think Joe liked the matchups with I. You know, like Grant's a really nice shooter from the corners, but Hauser's a flamethrower everywhere on the court. Like there's like it depends like what you what you're looking for. But the thing about Grant's skill set is that like. If if the thing that you need isn't the thing he has that no one else on the roster has is that he's like a brick wall who can stay in front of everybody. Right. And so, like, if you're in a matchup where that particular skill set isn't required, and I'll just point out that we're about to be in a matchup where that skill set is deeply required. Um, 
you know, I, it makes sense to me that he would be out of the rotation here and there, especially when like times where Hauser's playing really well. Um, I think Hauser's like a, an incredible weapon that they actually need to like find a way to use more. Um, but they're about to play a guy who's grants. Like I, I can't even imagine like Grant is like the player I would build if I was trying to build somebody to be the primary defender on Embiid because I think Embiid is uncomfortable with guys who are short, like who are significantly shorter with him. I think he gets, um, I think he's much more comfortable driving to the basket against taller players. And I think he also can't necessarily just move Grant out of the way, um, the way he can with like other, like, smaller players like you know the nets had a million guys to like throw at him in a double team but all those guys are like skinny dudes right Mm. um so yeah i don't know i mean god they're just such a the celtics are so deep it's like it sometimes if you're the eighth best player on a team that means like some weeks maybe you're the ninth best player and then you're out of the rotation suddenly like i don't know especially in the playoffs when everything yeah yeah I don't know. This feels like a perfect Grant series to me, though. Like, um, well, they they all kind of do from here on out. I don't know. Yeah. How it feels like Grant's, especially in the, you know rebounding. Yeah. Um, the one thing I thought was interesting from the last series, in the last game, that I was trying to picture, like, I can't picture Philly playing in that game six against Atlanta with the pace that they were playing at. I mean, Atlanta was, and and Boston can obviously play this way, but I mean, the. <laughs> What did they both have like almost 70 points a piece at halftime? It was the pace was unbelievable in the mm-hmm. game. There was not a ton of defense going on on either side of the floor, but there was also just a high level of shot making going mm-hmm. on. But I don't want to say that it was just, just no defense. Crazy shot making. And after, after the game was over, I sat there and I was like, how would Philly play that game? Because they couldn't, they couldn't play an up and down game like that. And if you're Boston, I mean, we think about a bunch of the advantages that they have. You know, wing depth primarily. They have a bunch of guards to throw at James Harden and Tyrese Maxey. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Embiid obviously is going to be a problem, but, you know, I think Boston can space him out of the paint with Horford. I mean, it's going to be, you know, Boston has some advantages, but one of the biggest advantages to me is the fact that Boston likes to play fast and Philly does not. <laughs> it just don't. Sometimes we don't like, sometimes the Celtics do not like to play fast. And that that is one of the things that worries me. The answer against Philly's transition defense is terrible. And so getting out in transition is the answer to that. But our defense fast in game five, they would have won run away. Yep. I mean, the Celtics this year, we've taught, we actually talked about this last time I was on, but like they don't under Joe, they've like, they are, they've become this like really extreme, um, First in the NBA in defensive rebound rate during the season and last in the NBA or not last, I think like 28th or something enforcing turnovers. And so that's just like a really extreme version of the team they've sort of been at times in the past where they are like pretty conservative defensively, um, pretty conservative about not sending a lot of bodies to the offensive glass. Um, but like those are the things like Philly's not a great defensive rebounding team either. They're, um, and they're, they don't really go for offensive rebounds. So like, can you kind of like take advantage of that in some ways? Um, Philly has some guys who are as Embiid first among them who are prone to giving the ball away and not getting back on defense. Like you got to run off those. The Nets, like the Nets suck, <laughs> but to their credit, they like, they ran a lot against Philly. Um, 
you know, some of the few opportunities they did have to score came um, from forcing turnovers in transition. Um, yeah, I mean, Philly is an elite half-court offense. Their half-court offense is as good as the Celtics' half-court offense over the course of the season. It's all the other stuff that uh, where they they sort of like their embeedness sort of like slows them down a little maybe. And and Harden likes to be really deliberate too. But, you know, that's also why Maxi and Melton are so important for them. I don't want to drill down too much on this just in the interest of time. We've already been at it for a little while. And like I said, we're doing two shows a week now. So we'll have more time to kind of talk about the Sixers when the series gets underway. Uh, thinking about it, well, let's see. The series begins on Monday. Game two is on Wednesday. Probably mm-hmm. do a probably do a, a a next show i would guess after the first two games when the series shifts to philadelphia if i'm if i'm projecting ahead but right now before the start of the series uh, the we keep talking about Joel Embiid and rightfully so he's the star but again we don't even know if he's going to play game 1 let alone how well he's going to play if he is out there so if there's anyone that the Celtics should be concerned about or Celtics fans should be concerned about on that team, who who can hurt you? Who can who can help them steal a game? Maxi, surprise, Maxi, yeah. Awesome. So Harden, I don't think Harden. Um, man, it's complicated. the The Harden thing is so complicated I because thought you'd say Harris. He no, it's not. It's definitely not <laughs> Harris. Um, that guy, Harden is kind of an incredible. He's become this like incredible caretaker point guard. Like it's a, it's a weird evolution for him. Um, if you think about like late career Jason Kidd, who just like stood at the top of the key and kind of like rifled passes to the exact right place over and over again, there's some of that going on with Harden. So I don't want to make it seem like he's not dangerous, but he's not driving by any of these Celtics. The Celtics have like a hundred guards who he's not going by and, uh, in an isolation and who can get a hand up in his three. And so like there might be a game or two where Harden makes a ton of step back threes. Um, but the one, but like the, the, like the player on the Sixers who brings the most like improvisational offensive flair is Maxi. He's the one who can like, who can make himself be kind of like unschemable. He's unpredictable. He finds open spaces. He's really good at playing off their stars. Um, he's like an absolute profound liability defensively. So like you have to pick on him at the other end. Um, but he scares the hell out of me as an offensive player. He's an incredible shooter. Yeah. Um, like it was a the game fir- three that he won basically by himself against. Yeah. It was awesome. He's shot o- like what over forty two percent on threes two years in a row for a guy who like came out of college with some questions around that part of his game. He's it's just like, like a fifth over Tyrese Maxey too. By the way, it's a tough look. Yeah, I know. I know. It's a tough one. Still a believer in Aaron Neesmith, by the way. Just want to throw that out there. Yeah, but yeah, to me it's Maxey like by far. Um, and I would also just throw out the name. Oh God, I I can never remember which McDaniel's yeah, is on. It's Jaden. It's Jaden, right? Or is it Jalen? I don't know. Maybe it's, it's Jaden's on this team and Jalen's on Minnesota, right? Okay. Well, so like that was an interesting move when they sort of like swapped um Matisse Thibel out for him. Thibel, like if you look at Philly's lineup data from this season. They were like they finished with a pretty good defense, but almost all on the Sixers. I had to look it up. Thank you. Sure. Um, Philly's defense, like a lot of the line, like um, a lot of their best defensive lineups, like even when you look at it at the end of the season, actually had Thibel in them, and he's like not on the team anymore. 
Um, and I think they brought in McDaniels hoping that he could like provide some of the defense Thibel provided while also like making an open shot once in a blue moon. And he's like, in theory, he like in theory, he has the game to be able to be the wing we're talking about who might be able to deal with Tatum and Brown. Like I could see a world where that, where McDaniels like wins them a game. I guess I sort of look at it as like with Atlanta, obviously, and we saw it, but you know, Trey young was capable of, he's, he is the talent despite his, his, uh, you know, lack of ability or, or, or whatever else on the defensive end. Offensively, he is the talent to steal multiple games in the series. Oh, yeah. Well, Embiid is certainly that guy as well when he's right. And maybe even when he's not right, we'll find out. But other than that, I mean, I guess Harden, depending on how you view him at this stage of his career, maybe he can be that guy. But they, from there, it's sort of one offs. You know what I mean? Like it, it sort of in the way that the Celtics, when they lost to the Knicks, when Emmanuel, Emmanuel quickly went off, like quickly's not going to do that. He's not going to steal a series, but he can steal a game. You know, Maxi to me, same kind of thing. He's not going to steal a series. He can steal a game. I would say offensively, Maxi's like a big step up from there. He's like a legit web. He's like a legit. He's very good. I would say he's probably one of the. Off the top of my head, I want to say he's like one of the 25 best offensive players in the league. Off purely offensive. Yeah. Like he's a true to be able to shoot like that with that quickness. Um, that's just like kind of an outrageous and he can do it off the dribble too. Yeah, I he's like a pain in the ass. He's gonna yeah. be a pain in the ass. For sure. <laughs> yeah, he scares me if we're not locked in. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean it's weird to say. I'm I like I think I've in some ways I'm more worried about playing against a team like Atlanta than I am against playing against Philly. Like, I don't think I would be incredibly disappointed if the Celtics lose to the Philadelphia 76ers. Well, like, think about it this way. Is, is there a guy on Philly? Cause at the, towards the end of the series, the Celtics were leaving Jalen Johnson, John Collins and Deandre Hunter wide open. It's like, okay, if you guys are going to hit threes, by all means, bomb away, let it rip. And they did, and, and they still and, won. Yeah, and DeAndre Hunter had two games where it was like, oh, he's going to hit all these now. Um, and yet, it didn't seem to matter. Is there anybody I, – I mean, I look at Philly and thinking, like, is there anybody like, – is Tobias Harris going 7 of 11 from three-point range? They're going to help. Yeah. Maybe, they're gonna, maybe once. But they're going to guard Tobias Harris at the three-point line. I think they're going to help off Harris. And, yeah. they're, and despite the end of that last game against Philly, they're going to help a ton off Tucker. Whenever Tucker's in yep. the game, Jalen uh, McDaniel's is going to have to prove that he can make threes. Um, you know, George Niang comes in the game and he's a guy you have to you have to guard him at the three point line. Um, I don't know. I mean, and, oh, and they'll, if if Embiid's like lollygagging out on the perimeter, they're not going to go anywhere near him. Yeah, like, let him shoot. We love when he shoots out there. Yeah. Um, can I just say something about guarding Embiid? I have like very strong opinions about how you guard Joel Embiid, and I just want to say like, so I alluded to this a little bit, but like with, when I said that the answer is to put a small guy on him, but I don't think that's the answer if you're playing him single coverage. And maybe this goes to I should like talk about how much I respect Embiid because I think I think with Embiid you have to you begin from the premise that you're going to double him every time he has the ball, like. Um, I don't think you can guard him single coverage. It doesn't make any sense to do that. Um, he's too big and strong and good at shooting. Like he has too many answers to one defender. Um, 
And so I think once you've conceded, so like if you do the thought experiment, you say we're going to double team him every time he has the ball, then I think you can start to get creative because you could say maybe we don't need to have a center on him all the time. Like if we're going to if we're going to say that we're bringing a double every time he gets the ball, then maybe a team could say, okay, we could play smaller defenders on him, um, which frees up like. I mean, ideally, you would like to, when Rob Williams is on the court, you would like to have him be freed up to do his crazy running around blocking shots everywhere thing um, and putting him on Tucker or maybe even Harris or Melton here and there. Like, those could be answers to doing that. I'm just, I'm excited to get it going. I mean, I'm, I'm happy they have the couple of days rest that they have, obviously. They need it. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, I do. I do wish the series was beginning on Saturday from the standpoint of getting to Philly sooner, everything that we talked about in that last show with Grandy, when again, the, the whole Celtics propensity to make life harder on themselves, but uh, nevertheless, you know, we can escape the emotion of a Saturday night uh, game and focus in our attention on a, a totally unnecessary game seven for the Bruins on Sunday. So, uh, so there's that. We got you're that. Really, you're really struggling tonight with this. Really, I'm, I feel I'm gonna, for you. As soon as we're done here in a couple of moments, I'm going to go eat my feelings. Right. <laughs> really? Ice cream? What do you eat when you're eating your feelings? Uh, Tell the listeners. They want to know probably, what Adam Kaufman probably, probably cookies. Cookies. Yeah. What's your brand? I'm, I'm, well, I'm a big chocolate chip cookie guy. Chips Ahoy? I would say I default to the chewy Chips Ahoy. Chewy Chips Ahoy. Uh, but mm. but, I, but I'm, I'm good with the, with the solid ones, too. And I'm good with the, like, go to random grocery store and get the packaged, you know, from the bakery. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not overly choosy. It's- I mean, listen, I've seen you massacre so many cookies in my life, like <laughs> so many cookies. It's true. It's tough. It's yeah. tough to stay away. I totally get it. See me at my darkest and your brightest. I have a rule about eating cookies. Eating cookies in the dark. <laughs> two cookies and that's it. I'm out. Have you have a two cookie quota or minimum or yeah. maximum. It's how I. That's how I. It's how I justify it. You can. But have that's, but that's you food. limiting yourself. That's not yeah. like oh, I don't want any more. It's it's I'm capping it. Yeah, because if I have more than two, I'm having a sleeve. No, oh, yeah, yeah. I uh, I I've probably told this story before, although I don't know that I ever would have told it on this podcast. But maybe I've told you, Seth, at some point. I I get it. Well, again, like sort of full circle. Part of the reason that you're here, there's a little bit of sports superstition. It's funny how some superstitions stick with you over the course of time, and whereas like others you grow out of. Like I I I, I think I've made the comment like I'm I don't really believe in jinxes anymore because I am an adult. <laughs> you know, there's like that. Yeah. That, I, yeah. Like. Like I'm, yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine calling a game over. With, like in the third quarter, that's not like I. And and if it goes sideways, we hate this sideways, about you. I, I know. I don't feel responsible for it. But there are certain superstitions for sure that that I have, and I will never forget. I was. This was had to be high school, early high school, and and I think there was it, it was it was a weekend because it was an afternoon Red Sox game, probably a one o'clock game, and I sat down at my kitchen table. Uh, with like my, I think my mom had just gotten home from the stop and shop or something. And with a, the, the blue package chips, Ahoy, the, the harder cookie. And chips like, Ahoy. Yeah. So I'm going to, yeah, the OG, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to sit down. And I'm going to, I'm going to have a couple cookies and watch the Red Sox. And I think it was whatever inning it was. I don't think it was right from the jump in the first inning, whatever inning it was. 
and they just start massacring the ball. Okay. Yeah. Mm, like, mm. Tearing like, the cover off it. Could, like could not make an out if you asked them to. And I, uh, and so I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm not eating cookies or, or, or I'm not stopping the, the cookies until this inning is over. <laughs> and they scored like 11 runs and I ate three quarters of that package of cookies. I can't stop. Can't stop now. I'm going to, I'm going to be the bad luck guy. If I stop eating these cookies. I can't believe you admitted that on a show like this. This is great. Uh, I had some I had some dangerous routines I won't go into right now involving beer during last season's NBA playoffs, but uh some dangerous yeah. routines. I was in I was in, in the air tonight by Phil Collins before a game. That's really that was my tradition. What <laughs> was? Like that's gone, you're saying? I haven't it back. postseason. I haven't tried it hasn't the vibes haven't gotten that bad yet where I'm like, I have to listen to Phil Collins to get revved up for this game. But it's coming. Yeah, that's the best part. You know what I have kind of, we'll, we'll go in a sec, but you know what I have kind of noticed about the, like, this isn't a thing in basketball. This is a hockey thing. I feel, are, are the Bruins not doing the playoff beards or is it just so early in the playoffs that it's not overly noticeable? Uh, I, I haven't noticed a massive amount of them yet. So maybe they just haven't had the opportunity to grow them yet. I don't know. Yeah, it's been a couple weeks. These are men. I, look, I, <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm sure they're rocking playoff beards. It is tradition. Maybe I would, I think I might be growing a playoff beard. I didn't even realize it. Yeah. yeah. I haven't shaved for, for years. <laughs> <laughs> All in preparation for number 18, baby. That's right. Doing your part. Well, well, I can't wait to make my 18 leg parlay on Monday for, uh, yeah, hopefully that Hope one hit it. I'll just, uh, everyone gets one assist. <laughs> it'll, it'll be like a plus 200 18 leg parlay. <laughs> All right, uh, well, it's time, but we will do another show in less than a week, and we will do another show after that within the same week, because we're doing that now, and that's awesome. We're excited about it, because more opportunity to hear from you and talk at you and talk about the Celtics and what is going on in this NBA playoffs, and I hope, I hope above all hope that we can talk about the Celtics in a favorable way into mid-June. That would be uh, a lot of fun. Then live show from the parade, right? So for Seth, for Evan, I'm Adam. Thanks uh, for being with us. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. 